Part One, Chapter Six of Johnny Reb and Billy Yank by Alexander Hunter. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Breaking in the Volunteers. The cars stopped at Manassas, a station on the Orange and Alexandria Railroad, a small, insignificant looking place, but destined before long to become a household word in America. The landscape was either a dead level or gently rolling and heavily wooded. The battalion, on its arrival, found everything in a disorganized state, and only a few independent companies. The first South Carolina regiment was in camp. Our coming, however, was altogether unlooked for, and Governor Letcher, having made no provisions for our nine hundred men, we found ourselves in that lone spot without rations, cooking utensils, tents, or any of the necessities of a soldier's life, simple as they were. Possibly, at this period, the Confederate commissariat had not been organized. We went immediately into bivouac, which consisted in laying down our knapsacks and taking off our accoutrements. That done, we looked into each other's faces and wanted something to eat. But wanting was one thing, and getting was another. For a while all discipline was relaxed. Some favored of fortune at once engaged board at a small tavern, while others, with never a cent in their pockets, prowled like lost dogs around the camp of the Carolinians, thankful for a bone or a crust. For three days some of us were literally on the verge of starvation. There were no drills now, only roll call in the morning and evening. We slept under the trees in our blankets, those who could sleep, for if the barrack mattresses were hard, the ground was harder still. Money was tight in the market in those days. A very Rothschild in the ranks could not have borrowed a dollar and those who were too proud to beg nearly starved. In my diary are these entries. First day, 25th May. Tried to sleep but could not. The ground hurt my body. Am so hungry. May 26th. A soldier gave me a cracker and a piece of cheese. Hung around the camp of the South Carolinians, but nobody asked me to have anything. If this is war, I won't last long. Slept a little better last night, but dreamed all the while of eating. Waked up every now and then and rubbed my stomach to ease the pain. So hungry. May 27th. All day not a morsel has passed my lips. Spent most of the day in the woods, almost crying with hunger. I can't beg. Nobody ever offers me anything. I'm starving. I have dreadful pains in my back and stomach. This evening, as I wandered in the fields, wondering what I must do, I saw a dog go by, a lean, starved cur, the meanest, dirtiest, ugliest, boniest, bow-legged creature imaginable. Shot at him and missed, put out after him. Old dog, said I, you will make a first-rate stew, even if the sun does shine through your ribs, and I'll have you if I can get you. Ran my best, and the dog, who loved life as well as I did, ran his best. Nearly reached him once where two snake fences met, but he squeezed through just as I jabbed at him with my bayonet. Ran him about a mile farther, but my breath gave out, gave up the chase. Last I saw of him was a yellow streak disappearing over the hill. Lost my dinner. In retrospection, one cannot help pitying the innocence and ignorance of men starving in the midst of plenty. A hundred yards or more away there were farmhouses where it would have been only necessary to ask to receive. The rebel soldier was, in the eyes of the people, one for whom too many sacrifices could not be made and it was with pleasure and willingness that they administered to his wants. To the soldier of the Army of Northern Virginia, and he soon learned the fact, but in the first year of the war he had not acquired the art of foraging, 
and was content to cook his camp rations without the aid of farm produce or the delicacies of the good wife's dairy and storeroom later on he felt no hesitancy in asking believing that as he bore the hardships and did the fighting it was the duty of the citizens to provide the food and keep him from starvation all were in the same boat doomed to sink or swim together as people waxed poorer and provisions scarcer it became impossible to supply the wants of each soldier as they would be made known to every farmhouse in the vicinity of the camp and hundreds would be turned away not unkindly but of necessity a lady once counted such applications at her door in one day and they numbered over two hundred and these did not include the many with whom she had hospitably shared her own frugal meal fortunately the army was not stationary and such extraordinary demands were not of long duration but it is only just to bear grateful testimony to the unselfish devotion the ready generosity of the people whose fair fields were made a battleground for four weary years so long as they had anything to give they gave cheerfully the burdens laid upon them were borne uncomplainingly their self-sacrifice was heroic some soldiers felt great repugnance toward going up to a stranger's door and making a plain request but they were strong on hints the georgians the best foragers in the army were of this ilk a group of them would halt at the gate and choose the thinnest saddest-faced hungriest-looking one of their lot he would meekly knock at the back door wait until his errand was asked and then humbly please ma'am give me a drink of water i hain't had a single bite for the last three days and hain't slept on a bed for a week johnny reb's eloquence especially when he was hungry generally prevailed and obtained him all he wanted happily our commissary embarrassments were but temporary and supplies began to arrive from richmond the season of want was over for a time at least and as if to make amends for our fasting the finest kind of rations in the greatest profusion were used not only this but large plank barracks were erected for our company of which we took quiet possession then hard life commenced so we thought we missed our noble women their acts of kindness their words of cheer and remembering our grumbling in the old home town would gladly have returned to take up the thread of existence there just where it had broken off but as goita says we never float again on the same stream the company was divided into three or four different messes each mess having two cooks chosen by regular rotation turn and turn about the cooking at first was simply awful not one of the detailed chef de cuisines could tell the difference between a frying pan and a skillet hence the horrible stuff they were wont to serve would have given dyspepsia to an ostrich but slowly yet surely these amateurs learned the art becoming so thoroughly competent that they could make a palatable stew or fricassee out of a lot of old bones and a handful of flour affairs by this time had begun to assume a warlike turn train after train crowded with soldiers was arriving every day the troops hailed from every southern state proving that manassas was considered a point of strategic importance the hitherto quiet station now resembled a fortified camp general bonham of south carolina was post commandant he was very lenient with the men rarely refusing them any request and consequently a great favorite his office was alike open to the private and the staff and he affected no style whatever about the first of june eighteen sixty one general beauregard arrived and assumed command of the post then a decided change took place our cool roomy comfortable barracks were exchanged for tents 
which as every veteran knows on a warm summer day are about two degrees less hot than a dutch oven and we had four drills a day in the hot sun a change indeed as david garrick once said on going from london to cheltenham it was like stepping from elysium into hell at night sleep was possible but in the day with the fierce vervid rays of the orb of day beating down upon us intensified by the white glare of the cotton sheeting the heat became almost unbearable the tents proved also first-rate breeding places for flies which almost amounted to a plague the different companies were formed ten of them into a regiment the crack rifles losing their proud individuality and sinking into plain company a seventeenth regiment virginia volunteers this regiment was placed in a brigade which it completed and was known as the first brigade of the army of northern virginia commanded by general longstreet the brigade was composed of virginians the first from richmond the seventh from piedmont section the eleventh was from lynchburg the regiment was ordered to leave its pleasant quarters in the woods and camp with the rest of the brigade in a vast field without so much as a huckleberry bush on its surface then we had to give up our large tents and take miserable little bell tents with four men in each they were so short that when a long-legged man stretched out at length he found his feet outside on bright days we would take refuge in the woods and lie around in the shade but behold us in a long wet rainy spell a fine spray showers down upon the inmates the breathing of four people in a contracted space fills the interior with a dense fog everybody is steaming and the only simile is a kitchen on washing day the one is about as pleasant and comfortable as the other general beauregard had reduced everything to a system we rose at dawn answered roll call ate our meals by the tap of the drum drilled went for water retired to rest and fell asleep by the same rolling notes o ye innocent sheep ye fleeced and slaughtered meekness personified why did not nature give you a thicker skin or none at all why of all animals in the world was your blameless hide chosen to be beaten thumped and rolled to the discomfort and unhappiness of man surely your meekness is revenged on the human race for all your wrongs one grievance more a failure to be present at drill and we booked ourselves for police duty an innovation with a vengeance for police duty was but a polite name for the work of the man we call scavenger in the city every morning squads detailed for that purpose armed with brushes brooms and shovels roamed all over camp cleaning and clearing up generally the men considering it degrading disliked this duty more than any other and many were placed in the guardhouse for refusing to work in such capacity the regimental camp was surrounded by a perfect cordon of guards who were instructed to allow no one to pass save field officers neither the officers under that grade much less the rank and file could leave camp without a written pass signed by his own regimental officer and countersigned by the general commanding hence we were as strictly guarded as prisoners of war but there was no suffering for want of exercise on account of these circumscribed limits eight hours were spent in drilling on a large level plain in a double quick running through the different evolutions until every one of us felt like lying down and giving up the ghost woe to weak legs for like the wicked they had no peace neither were the hands allowed to fold themselves at rest what with cooking police duty and digging entrenchments the soldiers soon found that beauregard and not the devil had work enough for idle hands to do he piled pelion upon osa and osa upon pelion in the shape of labor 
From penitentiary convicts farmed out under the contract system, more could not have been exacted. He had details, a certain number chosen from each company, chosen to erect breastworks and elaborate fortifications after Vauban. They were marched to the designated spot, picks and spades placed in their hands, and the order given to fall to. It was ever an incongruous assembly of workmen. Pat was in his element, holding between his teeth a pipe of that curtailed description which all Irishmen love, and making the dirt fly as he plied his pick with the measured strokes of a machine. This muscular, brawny son of Aaron seemed never to know the meaning of fatigue, but for the delicate man at his side, with soft muscles and weak sinews, all unused to manual labor, and exposed to the sun, it was too hard a task. Sooner or later he would break down and be sent under guard back to his regiment. Those poor, proud fellows! Manfully enough would they strive to accomplish the allotted task, too great for their strength, and labor desperately on in the morning glare of the sun, contracting, all unknowingly, those deadly typhus germs, and digging but too often their own graves. Our life during the month of June was destitute of any incident of note or excitement. It was the daily round of the galley-slave, the same systematic duties day after day. Of course, the fatigue and monotony of camp-life, superadded to the constant exposure to the sun, caused much sickness. Besides this, the water around Manassas was hardly drinkable, being almost stagnant. As the summer advanced, sickness broke out among the troops, and destitute of the proper medical attendance, the mortality became frightful. The wailing tones of the dead march sounded in our ears, and almost every hour could be seen bodies of troops marching with reversed arms, followed in a short while by the volley fired over their dead comrade. It began to have a very depressing effect on the army. The commander-in-chief became alarmed at the condition of affairs. The mortality was increasing so rapidly that energetic steps were taken. Huge water tanks were constructed on flat cars, which were filled with pure water from the Blue Ridge Mountains, brought down to the junction, and distributed among the soldiers. When the whistle of the engine sounded, the cry of, The water cars are coming, was on every lip, and thousands of men could be seen racing to the depot, carrying in their hands every imaginable kind of utensil, canteens, coffee pots, buckets, tin pails, kettles, and anything that would hold water. The scene at the tank baffled description. A confused mass of men struggling, each trying to fill his bucket first, the guards trying to preserve order, the whole resembling pandemonium by sunlight rather than anything else, and not until the last drop of that heaven-sent, life-giving fluid, fresh from the cool, pure mountain stream, had been scooped up, did the place resume its quiet. About the middle of July, drills in the heat of the day were discontinued, but notwithstanding these sanitary measures, the hospitals continued to be crowded to excess, and the death-roll in the army, especially among the troops from the far south, was startling. The 8th Louisiana Regiment lost by typhus fevers, dysentery, scurvy, and measles, the awful number of 200 men out of a total force of 900 strong, nearly one-fourth, or two for every nine. Those troops from the extreme south suffered far more from the heat, strange as it may appear, than either Virginians or North Carolinians, and succumbed more quickly to disease when once attacked. The days passed slowly, as they must always do for the weary watcher of the night, the captive in his dungeon, and for the tired soldier, who, fettered by an iron system, could only sigh for change and stirring action instead of wearisome, dull routine. 
June had gone and July was on the wane before anything occurred, when one sweet morning, the 17th of July, 1861, the long roll sounded and our camp life was broken. End of Part 1 Chapter 6